Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Milestone McKinney. My name is Chris. I'm the campus pastor here. And uh, myself and my wife Wendy would love to uh, welcome you this morning. As Pastor Nick said, we know each and every week it's someone's first time. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, and if we had not had an opportunity to meet you yet, we look forward to meeting you after service. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We're so honored that you are here. We are in a series called It's Worth It 2.0. We're doing small groups. We're doing this series. We're kind of looking at these values that have guided us over the last 20 years as a church family. But we're also connecting the reality and the truth of these values aren't just values for us as a church, uh, as, a, as a church family. They're really God's truth and their values and biblical values that we can live out each and every day. And there's a significant importance behind values. When we live with values, here's what happens. When, when we live with values, we move from just being uh, living a life of aspiration to living an, a life of actually accomplishing the things that we want to do. We move from aspirational to actual. There's all things in our life that, that when we do that, what happens is as we move towards those things, we begin to experience something new. I don't know about you. Think about it. When was the last time you tried something new? Like you hear about it sometimes, leadership platforms and different people are like, try something new this weekend. You know, like social media, you know, uh, you know uh, people that are influencers are like, try something new, you know, da, 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 whatever. I'm like, do I need to go to like a new restaurant? Do I need to go to a new city? Do I need to go to a new country? I don't know. Sometimes new is just kind of out of your comfort zone. I, I, I experienced this. Actually, with my dad this past week, he didn't know I'm telling the story. My parents are in town, and 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 so he he's you know and, and new is good. I mean, I'm grateful for mom and dad. When Lord knew I needed something new, okay, that's why he gave me Wendy. Okay, she's from New Orleans. She's my little Cajun queen. All right, she got a little. There's a seasoning in Louisiana called Tony Satchery. It's kind of spiced it up. That's Wendy. That's she. You know, and even now I can feel it. You know what I'm talking about. Man, when, when your spouse is staring at you, it's kind of like, it's getting warm right here. What is that? Like, she's staring right at me, you know what I mean? It's like, you, you experience new things. If it wasn't for Wendy, I'd, be, I'd go to the same place every day, eat the same meal, do the same routine. I'd probably actually be fine with that. I'm like, less thinking. You know, I just do this and just get stuff done. She's like, whoa, let's go here. I'm like, okay. <laughs> let's go there. Antique store. Yeah, that was top of the list of what I wanted to do. <laughs> You heard me say it. I ain't into antiques, but I'm into you, so let's go, okay? Well, my dad, what I love is my dad's in town, and, and he's kind of the same way. He's got his flow and his routine. I appreciate that. I, I, I register with that. And so he, he's always, even from when I, the time I was young, you know, he, I'm the oldest of three boys, and he was always doing things. He grew up in a border town in Texas, and, and uh, he was always doing things so myself and my brothers could have things that he didn't have when he was growing up. And that would even include, like, you know, I mean, he'd wear the same, same thing, same clothes, same shoes, like, for years. I mean, he was wearing dad's shoes. When dad's shoes weren't cool, he started the trend. I mean, he was wearing, I'm like, dad, those aren't cool. Now they're cool. And the truth is, knowing my dad, he probably still has those shoes. He'll hold on to them forever. My mom's like, you got to get new shoes. So she told me the other day on Friday, she's like, mijo, that's what she'll call me. We need to go get dad some new shoes. And he'd be just fine. Let's go to Costco. Okay. Those are $20. They're the right size. 
Okay, they're the right color. Just get those things, all right? That'll work. Well, he's getting a little older in his age. You know, had a little injury with his ankle a few years back. And so I said, all right, we can go to like, you know, the outlet mall or something like that. But I think we need to go maybe to this place. It's a running store here locally. And they'll kind of, they'll kind of, get your fit, you know, they'll kind of evaluate how you walk, and they'll put you in the right shoe with the right level of comfort, and, you know, where your arch, all that stuff, and he's like, oh, okay, I don't know, so we go in, and he's, you know, he's not super skeptical, you know, about things, but he's kind of like, he's got his flow, and he's like, I don't know, is this going to work, you know, so it was great, because we walk in there, and there's a guy named Robert, he's kind of an older gentleman, and him and my dad may have been close to the same age, I don't know, but Robert starts talking to him, so if Robert, if you ever meet Robert, maybe Robert will join us one day, I don't know, but Robert, it helps my dad out. And so he's going, okay. And so Robert's helping him out and he's doing this and that. We leave. My dad got two pairs of shoes, two in. So he's like, all right, let's go. I like this thing. So then we leave and we go walk around downtown because that's what my mom wants to do. So we're walking around downtown and we get done and my dad's like, you know what? He's like, normally I'd be ready to go home. My feet hurt. My ankles hurt. My whatever. He's like, my feet don't hurt. My ankles didn't hurt. My knees don't hurt. My lower back doesn't hurt. What? And, and, and it all, why was that? It was because he went with somebody that had experienced that. He was with someone he trusted that had walked into an environment like that, helped him, and he was able to then in turn experience something new that impacted his life. Now, you may be thinking, what's the point of this, Chris? Is it like you want us to go get our feet evaluated and go get all these shoes? No. The point is that we, when we experience something new in our life, it changes so much about our life. I think of another new experience I had when I was, uh, became a dad. I said earlier, I'm the oldest of three boys, so growing up, I mean, it was like all kinds of different toys, but, but I started having daughters, and they want toys I'm very unfamiliar with. My little girls, which we didn't have this in my house because I didn't have sisters, they want toys like this, and I'm like, what do you do with that? I know what we do with that when I was a boy, and we found one of those, like, you know, that was the hostage that we're trying to save, or, you know, maybe that was who got tied up, or, you know, it's like, you know, pull the head off. Okay, I'm sorry. Hopefully I don't scar anybody. You know, I'm like, what do they do with that? Like, what are you, what? You know, and then they want to, like, paint fingernails and all this stuff, and I'm like, what? I'm like, can we go back to when I was a kid? Because when I was a kid, we had cool toys. We had toys like that. I'm showing my age now. How many of you remember He-Man? I'm like, that dude, I want that outfit. Ma, can I go to school looking like that? I want a battle axe and a, I don't know if you got underwear on. I'm not sure what he's wearing, you know. You got, you got He-Man or, or G.I. Joe. They still got G.I. Joe around, you know what I mean? G.I. Joe, maybe G.I. Joe. Here's one of my favorite toys growing up as a kid. Transformers. I mean, who doesn't want a car that talks to you that then turns into a robot that can, like, shoot blasters out of its arms? That is, like, every boy's dream. But here's what I really loved about Transformers. I love their tagline. Transformers, more than meets the eye. I'm like, yeah, I'm into that. More than meets the eye. I like that. Now, I, I know what you're thinking. You're like, man, okay, where, are we talking about shoes? Are we talking about transformers? Or what are we, what, where are we going with this? I really want to talk to you about that simple premise. That Jesus wants to do more in your life than you can even ask, think, or imagine. That he's doing things in you, and it's more than meets the eye. You don't even see it. You don't recognize it, and you don't, you don't even realize that it's happening. Because what he wants to do is he wants to bring a transformation in your life. 
You see, all these values and the things that we're doing, even this series we're in, it's worth it, 2.0, and talking about these things, it's significant because what you're doing is when you bring vision and values and you align them, it brings transformation. That's what this word is right here. It's vision and values coming together that Jesus, that God gave us, and Jesus speaks to us through the work of the Holy Spirit, and it brings a transformation in our life. And so what I want to talk to you today about is what does it look like to live a transformed life? And you think about it, I didn't even know, Bushaya, I didn't know her, her testimony until I saw it this morning. It's like everywhere I'm turning, it's transforming. God's speaking, he's saying, I want to bring a transformation in your life. What's the word transformation mean? If you really look at it, here's what transformation means. Look, right here. A thorough or dramatic change in form or appearance. We all have areas in our life, big and small, that we want this. We want a transformation. There's things that we want to transform. We want a dramatic, thorough change in some areas in our life. Some of it drastic, major, big overhaul. Some of it small. And the truth is, it's not only just us because of our relationship with Jesus or because of Jesus. Truth is, we even as humans and as people, it's built into our culture. In a few months, we'll come into the new year and everyone will have a what? New Year's? Culturally, we want this. You know, it's interesting. Every year, the top three things for a New Year's resolution, they're always the same thing. And every year, the statistic is the same. By Valentine's Day, 85% of the people that had a New Year's resolution will have already quit on their New Year's resolution because something in us wants a change. We want a dramatic, thorough shift and change in some areas in our life. Where are the areas that you want change? Where are the areas that you want to shift? Where are the areas that you're going, I want a thorough and dramatic change in form or in appearance in this area of my life? The way you interact and engage with your spouse, the conversations that you have, the way you respond to your children, the way you conduct business, the way you raise up leaders, things that you're doing, whatever it may be. There are things in our life that we all want to change and we want to work on. But how do we get there? What, is, what does that look like and, and why is this so significant? You see, these areas of change and transformation, they're so significant because really what begins to happen is they start dictating the decisions we make. When you get dialed into something that you want to change and grow in, they'll dictate the decision, what you say yes to and what you say no to. They determine where you allot your time. They determine how you spend your money. In fact, you may even try your best to fabricate transformation, but you can't. You can't buy it. You can't schedule it. You can't dictate it. You can't make enough decisions to really bring about true transformation. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus does that. You see, a transformed life is a life touched by Jesus. Because at the end of the day, I may be able to change a lot of habits, but if I haven't let the King of kings and the Lord of lords transform me from the inside out, I really am not experiencing transformation. I'm just experiencing temporary, I'm just experiencing temporary change. But I, I can't sustain it. But when I come into a relationship with Jesus, he transforms us. How, how do I know that? I look at the words of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. See, he's doing new things. He's doing new things. And the truth is, this isn't theory for me, because what I love is that we're seeing it right now, even in our young people. 
Even in our young people on Wednesday night services, in here, they're, we're kind of in a season, it's called Super Series, where really what it is is we're really focused on not only impacting and, 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 and raising up the students that we have, but really challenging, encouraging, empowering those students to in turn reach their friends. Over the last two weeks, that's it, the last two weeks, there have been 31 young people that have given their life to Christ in this building in the last two weeks. That is awesome. I get fired up about that. I mean, I just might take a lap. We're just going, let's go. Because here's what this word says. It says when just one who is far from God comes to know Jesus, all of heaven, all of it. Now, I don't know how big heaven is, but I'm sure it's pretty big. All of heaven rejoices for just one. 31 young people giving their life to Christ over the last couple of weeks. That's something to get fired up about. See, because when you experience a relationship with Jesus and you know what transformation feels like, it changes you. That's right. Maybe even for you, you're new to this environment. You're new in here. You're like, man, that little guy got up there and he prayed and he was like, he was excited. Was he mad? Was he yelling or not? Or did they have it loud? Was he mad? Was he excited? Was he sad? Was it what's happening? And that last song is saying, Jesus speak. They're talking about Jesus and people raising their hands. Do they have questions? What are they doing? Someone shouted. Are they mad? Did they get scared? What happened? No. When Jesus impacts your life, you can't help but express what God has done in your life because you know where you were and you know the transformation that has happened and you can't but celebrate how God has transformed you from the inside out. Make no mistake, I'm not talking about just external expression. You've heard me say it before, passion is not always loud. Now, in my case it is, but passion is not always loud, but it is always obvious. It's obvious what you're passionate about, what you're focused on, what you're dialed into. And when someone, I get passionate about 31 young people coming to know Jesus. Because people talk about, ah, oh, these young people, this generation. Well, I mean, I don't want to step on any toes. Can I tell you, a lot of the pain they experience, it's because of us, mom and dad. Decisions you're making. Don't, don't hear, I'm not placing condemnation or guilt. But make no mistake, we have made some decisions and chose to live a life in the way in which we wanted to. And to be fair, we didn't know Jesus maybe in that season. And the decisions we made have consequences and they've impacted this generation in a way that's significant. But God is still working and moving. And what the enemy means for bad, God can use for good. No one is too far gone. He can reconcile, restore, and he makes all things new. That's what happens when Jesus comes in and brings transformation. And when I think about young people and I think about what God's doing and I think about transformation, I think about a story in the Bible. There are, the, God's word is filled with all sorts of examples of transformation. But I think about one in particular story. It's of a man named Saul. And Saul was a well-educated young man. Saul was uh, an individual who knew the law inside and out. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, and we're going, to, we're going to pick up this story of an interaction between Jesus and this man Saul. Saul is on his way to the city called Damascus. Damascus is an epicenter for commerce and culture. So it's a massive, significant city. It's influential. Paul is on, or Saul is on his way there. And on his way, he's there for one mission and one mission only. The word says that he was going to find people who were followers of the way. Those that were following Jesus and were disciples of Jesus and were following the disciples of Jesus. 
they called those individuals people who were part of the way. And God's word says in Acts chapter 9 that, that Saul was on his way to Damascus to find some people that were part of the way. And to take them back to Jerusalem to imprison them, punish them, or even kill them. But something happens to Saul on the way. You ever had a moment where maybe even for you, you're even thinking about your moment in your relationship with Jesus. Where you were headed in one direction and all of a sudden, God shows up and gets a hold of you. And that's what happens to Saul right here on this road on the way to Damascus. And we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 9 verse 3. And it says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So here's this individual, Saul. Light shines, boom. It actually says that he was blinded. He was blinded, didn't eat or drink for three days. There's a group of men with him. They heard the voice. They didn't see anything. They were astonished. They lead him and help him get to Damascus. Ironically, he ends up at a street, at a house on a street. The street's name was Straight Street. Well, there's an individual that lived in that city, disciple by the name of Ananias. And Jesus shows up to Ananias and says, Ananias, I want you to go to this guy named Saul. And I want you to help him. I have a plan and purpose for him. I want you to pray for him. I want you to invest into him. Now, make no mistake, recognize this. He is a Jew. Ananias is a Jew. Saul's focus is finding, persecuting, killing Jews. Okay? So think of it this way. It's like Jesus, it would be like Jesus showing up to me. Okay, think about it. This is, Ananias is a Jew. He fits the profile of who Saul is persecuting, imprisoning, and killing. So it's like Jesus coming to me saying, Chris, there's this guy. He, he persecutes, he imprisons, he kills moderately height, good-looking Hispanic men. <laughs> I, I, believe that, I feel like that's what the Lord would tell me. Vertically challenged, good-looking Hispanic man. He, he kills those guys. You fit that profile. I fit that profile, I think. But go to that guy. He, he, no, 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 I don't, no, I don't think I can do that, Jesus. I mean, he, you're going to have to find another moderately high, vertically challenged, good-looking Hispanic guy to go and talk to this guy. That's the equivalent of what's happening here. And watch this conversation between Ananias and Jesus. We're going to pick up the story in verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me. So that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Saul experiences a significant transformation, but he's not the only one. So does Ananias. Ananias is going, I'm not going to that guy. He's going to kill me. He is my enemy. And yet because of what Jesus did in Ananias' heart. 
and in his life, what is his perspective of how he views Saul? Brother Saul. You want to talk about transformation? Think of your worst enemy, the, people, the person that has hurt and wounded you the most, and you going to that person and calling them brother or sister. The only way you get there is Jesus transforming you from the inside out. So it wasn't just Saul that experienced transformation. It's Ananias. You read on, we pick up verse 18, and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened for some days. He was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. Saul continues to go, and he preaches. People are impacting change. In fact, to give you the rest of the story, Jesus ends up changing. God changes Saul's name from Saul to Paul, and that's how many of us know him as Paul. Paul wrote three-fourths of the New Testament, this Bible right here. And much of the three-fourths that he wrote, he wrote while he was in prison. And so here's a man who experienced the transformational presence and encounter with Jesus, and it transformed him. And because of the transformation he experienced Here we are today, even telling his story and experiencing that same transformation as well. What's your transformational moment? Maybe it wasn't like you're walking on a road and boom, you're blinded and you had to go to a city and someone shows up and helps you. I can remember mine. I remember growing up in a godly home and I can remember that although I grew up in a godly home, I wanted to do my own things and I remember just being so focused on trying to to, to fill these voids in my life. At times I didn't even really know what it was. But being a criminal justice major at Texas State and I remember driving home one day and I'm just empty. I just feel empty, and I remember getting home. It wasn't like this. I didn't have lights and a screen, and Jarrett wasn't up here, you know, champion. I'm like, yeah, I need that. Okay, I need a moment like that. No, no, no. It was a 1988, like, Ford Escort GT. I called it the Black Widow because it was blacked out and made me feel cool about a Ford Escort. You know, it's standard. Felt real powerful. Had GT on it. I don't know if it was fast or not, but it made me feel fast. It was in the middle of that. That was my Damascus road. Boom, God gets a hold of me. I get home and I kneel down by my bed and I just simply say, Jesus, I'm tired of the way I'm living. I need you to change my life. And I got up from that bed and I've been serving the Lord ever since. And it's the power of Jesus in that moment and the power of a praying mom and dad because I still lived at home and I was an alcoholic by the age of 15. I could drink men three times my size under the table. Unfortunately, I found out that it was kind of like a It was like a party trick that people really liked, but it really was just moving me in a direction where I was headed for disaster. But in that moment, because a transformational moment with Jesus, he delivered me and healed me. And it was the power of Jesus in my life and the power of a praying mom and dad that prayed the pain off of walls that I'm standing on this platform today speaking of the goodness of Jesus. But can I tell you, it wasn't just in that moment. It's been 20 plus years of saying yes to Jesus Every time he speaks to my heart and he's saying, I want to transform something in your life. I want to change something in your life. I want you to grow because that's what he does. In fact, that process is a biblical word. It's a theological word called sanctification. Here's what sanctification means. Sanctification simply means the action or process of being freed from sin or purified. 
We never arrive. Sanctification is an ongoing process. So even if you're in here today and you surrendered your life to Christ, there are things that God still wants to transform and sanctify in your life. How do I know that? Well, we read the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, all we have to do is when we say yes to Jesus for the first time and make him our Lord and Savior, we just continue to live a life of saying yes to Jesus. There are things that he wants to transform in us. I mean, even for me, I'm still reminded. I'm reminded every time I go to Costco on a Saturday afternoon. I don't know why I do. I'm a glutton for punishment. Everybody in that parking lot does not know how to park, does not know how to drive. They don't know how to push their cart in Costco. Costco, it drives me insane. I'm like... These people are crazy. I just, my, my, I just get a little frustrated, a little agitated. I'm like, Lord, these people, what, what are we doing? Like, what? They all need you, Jesus. You, no offense, if you're at Costco yesterday, it's Saturday, you know, between uh, 10 o'clock and, and 12. I'm talking about you. Okay? But it's like, what? That may sound silly and trivial, but at the end of the day, through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. E, I'm lacking that. I need to grow in that. The minute you think that there's nothing that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about to sanctify, to grow in and transform, it's a dangerous place to be. Because we will never arrive until we stand before him and we're made fully whole. God wants to speak to us. He wants to bring transformation. He wants to change and grow us. So where and how does he do that? What does that look like? How does Jesus transform our life? I'm going to give you three areas that I think he transforms our life and then three simple practical things and how we can live that out. Here's the first one. Jesus transforms our heart. And when he transforms our heart, it changes our desires. You see, when he transforms our heart, he brings healing. We've all experienced hurt, but there's healing. You, you can recognize, man, how do I know if I need healing or forgiveness? Because when a situation comes up, it feels familiar or it evokes a feeling or emotion connected to a previous experience. It actually probably had nothing to do with that particular individual. It aligns our motives. All through Proverbs, multiple times, multiple times. Essentially de 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 determining that no one knows the motive of a man's heart but the Lord. We all make plans. We all have desires. We have a general direction. But it's the Lord that knows. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So is he. So, so it's our heart that, that, that Jesus wants to change. And when he begins, when we allow him to change us from the inside out and change our hearts, it changes our desires. I love the words of Paul, and we're going to look at Colossians 3, and we're going to look at a couple of verses in Colossians 3. But Colossians 3, verse 1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, transformation and change just simply comes with you seeking. It's not willpower. It's not working real hard. It's seek. It's just seek him. You see, as we move closer to him, as we seek him more, we begin to experience him more in our life. Draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. That's the crazy thing about it, though, is Jesus, God already went first. 
Jesus already went first. He comes to us, yet what happens is when we seek him, he's faithful to meet us where we're at. And he begins to bring about a transformation in our life and our heart. You have no idea what's on the other side of your obedience in stepping out and just simply saying yes. Live a life of yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, I'm going to work on my lack of patience. Yes, I want to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Yes, I want to be more dialed in and, and more fruitful in my marriage and in my relationships. Yes, Jesus, I want to grow in how I, I'm stewarding these little children that you've given me and the time that I have with them. Yes, Jesus, I want to grow in how I work in my place of employment or how I build this business or how I engage and interact with people. Yes, Jesus, I want to be an extension of you that people see how I live my life and they wonder what is it that's different about you and I'm able to share your goodness and your faithfulness in my life with them. Yes, Jesus. Where does that come from? It comes from a transformed heart. But here's the second thing that he does. He transforms our mind. He transforms our mind. See, when he transforms our mind, he changes our focus. When he transforms our mind, it impacts the way we see ourselves, the way we see others, the way we see him. Paul continues to write in Colossians 3. Now look at verse 2. Here's what he says. Set your minds on things above, not on things that are on the earth. See, where are you setting your mind? I shared with you the words in 1 Peter about cornerstone. When you set that cornerstone, everything else builds off of that. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have difficult moments. You're going to get agitated and frustrated. You're going to feel like nobody in the Costco parking lot knows how to drive, park, or push a basket. And it's going to be a weak moment. But when you have a cornerstone, and Jesus is that cornerstone, it changes how you see the circumstance, which then in turn changes how you respond to it. He changes our mind. It changes our focus. Now I'm dialed in to something different. I see from a different vantage point. But make no mistake, there's conflict and challenge with that. Paul knows this. He's writing the church in Rome, and he says this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, there's a transformation that has to happen in my mind. And I need to renew my mind on a daily basis. How do I renew my mind? I renew it in prayer. I renew it within the word. I renew it in what I'm focused on and how I see that God... This situation is not good. This is a big deal. But I see how you're working and moving in this situation. And if I don't see it yet, I know that you will because you're faithful and true to your word and to your promises. I trust you. You see, you begin to see it from a different vantage point. We, we get distracted. Our minds, our thoughts, they're so fragmented. And we do our best to compartmentalize. You've heard me say before, I used to take pride, oh, I'm a, I'm a multitasker, which really just meant I'm multi-distracted. I'm really not focusing on any one particular thing. This past summer, I took some time, I, re I read a book, and I, I take kind of a study break, and one of the books I read was the, the Eight Paradoxes of Leadership by Tim Elmore. And in one of those things, as he's starting out, he's, lay he's laying out these different paradoxes in leadership. When he starts out, he starts out, and he's talking about the challenges that we have. The distractions and the things that pull from our attention. And he said this phrase. 
He wrote this out and, and he said this. He said, there was a season where our phones were leashed, but we were free. Now, our phones are free and we are leashed. There are so many things vying for your attention. So many things that just, I want to be on it, I want to be on it, I want to be on it. And what happens is the danger in it is not that the device himself, the danger in it is what we put our focus on. And it begins to dictate and determine what your focus will be. You don't even realize it. They're just pushing and put. I mean, is it, I mean, you've experienced it, you know. You, your phones are in here. It heard me say He-Man. You're going to be scrolling on Instagram and be like, He-Man, Transformers, you know, G.I. Joe. Because they're pushing to you what they want. No, 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 no. God's word says, I'm going to set my mind on this. I'm going to set my mind on things above. What I'm going to focus on. You see, Jesus brings a transformation in how I see a situation because of where I've set my mind. Transformation comes from a decision that's made of an intentional focus on something internal or external. I have to make that decision. And it focuses you for a season. Think about it. You can do it. You've all done it. You're, in fact, some of you, you're already doing it. I walk in your house. You got all the pumpkins and fall decorations dialed up. You're ready to go. In fact, some of you, you're like, nah, psh, that's just a blimp. You know, you've seen that little, that, that, it's like the calendar. It's got like October, November, December. And it's like Christmas is all of October. Christmas is all December. And Thanksgiving just like that, that one Thursday right there. You're already decorating for Christmas. I got one in my house. She's like, Dad, can we set up the Christmas decoration? I'm like, no, it's like 90 degrees outside. And then she came in this week. She's like, it's cold outside now. Can we do it? You know how to live focused. You know how to dial into something. Jesus brings a trait. You can't willpower your way into a change of heart. You can't willpower your way into a change of mind. It is the transformational work of Jesus in our life. And then here's the last thing that he does. Jesus transforms our behavior, which changes our actions. You see, here's a unique thing about this. This is actually where we try and start when it comes to a relationship with Jesus. If I just do these external things, then I'll grow. In a, that's not what Jesus is after. He's not after behavior modification. He's after heart transformation. That you allow him to work from the inside out and he transforms your heart. It transforms your mind, the way you see and think about things, about yourself, about others, about him. Then it plays out. What, what does it say when you looked in Colossians 3? It said, seek. Set, then act. Verse 9 of chapter 3 in Colossians. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. We put off the old and we put on the new. This is a byproduct of actually the first two. He transforms my heart. He transforms my mind. And it begins to play out and it's transformed in my actions. You see, this is what it looks like. When we embrace and understand, and here's why it's so significant. Because you may go, okay, what's the point, Chris? Here's the point. That when we live a transformed life, it doesn't just impact our life. It impacts those around us. It impacts 
our spouse. It impacts our children. It impacts people at our place of employment, our, our co-workers, our employees, our, 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 our managers. It impacts those around us because they begin to see something in you. Not because you've modified your behavior and you're on your best behavior. They see something different in you because something's happened from the inside out. It's your heart. It's your mind, the way you think about things. And in turn, it's impacted the way you respond to things. So three practical ways you can live a transformed life. First is this. You go first. First, you go to Jesus. I, I surrender to you, Jesus. And as you do that, here's what begins to happen. You start having a heart for other people and you start going first. You start inviting people to, to church. Or you start sharing what God's done in your life. Or you start reaching out and connecting with other people. It's a byproduct of a transformed life. You go first. Here's the second thing you do is you go the second mile. The second mile really is, an, is something that comes from the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 41. And, and maybe you've read that, but Matthew 5 is basically the greatest sermon ever preached. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus uses this phrase often. You've heard it said. You've heard it said. What's he referring to? That you saw and heard it said one way. He talks about this simple principle. You've heard it said. Because see, during this time, Roman law was if you were a Jew and a Roman soldier came to you and said, carry my bag, you carried it one mile. And Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, carry it one mile. I'm telling you, carry it too. You think about that. If your worst enemy came to you, and you carried their bag and decided to carry it a second mile? Only Jesus could bring about that change in you. So you go the second mile. That's how you live a transformed life. You go first, you go the second mile, and then you build bridges, not barriers. You build bridges. You connect with other people. You, you serve other people. You, you go first when it comes to forgiving other people. You see, we've all experienced challenges and hurt in our life. It's normal for us to build barriers. We don't even really realize that we've built barriers. In fact, when we begin to build barriers with other people because of painful things we've experienced in our life, what we actually are doing in the enemy's end goal is that we start building barriers between us and God. Well, how do I know that? Just go Matthew 18. Barrier is just interchangeable because at a certain point, that barrier really is probably an offense. We're mad and offended by somebody. Well, an offense doesn't just bring separation between us and another person. It brings offense, if you would, a fence between us and God. And the only path through that is forgiveness. But you got to build a bridge. I'm so grateful that God built a bridge. That bridge was Jesus. He comes and he fills the gap. He makes a way. He goes first. He goes the second mile. He is the bridge. And because of what he did, I, just like you, all have the opportunity to experience a transformed life. But my prayer in my heart is not just that I experience it. I want my family to experience it. I want my kids to experience it. I want those around me to experience it. I want them to experience the love and the transformation of Jesus Christ in their own life, just like I did. You don't have to be. That's us living that way is not for a select group of people that are just on this platform. A select group of people that are just super religious or spiritual. That's not who it's for. It's for all of us. We all can live a transformed life.
when we do, it impacts those around us.